Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Uh, public ministry will be Saturday. We went out yesterday. Uh, had really good reception yesterday. Uh, every, cars were honking everywhere yesterday. It was it was pretty constant. So it was a blessing. It was painfully cold yesterday. Yeah, your hands would. You could, you're holding a sign. You're trying to switch hands and put it back in your pocket. And <laughs> and um, uh, but we endured to the end. So we get in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Um, March 9th will be second Saturday. It starts again March 9th. So um, most likely what we'll do this for this first one is just go at our normal time. Um, does, is there, does anybody know the, the, the hours that it usually runs? 5 p.m. to 8 p.m.? Oh, okay. Oh, that's perfect then. So, well, so we could be there. If we go, if we just stick to our normal schedule, we can be there at, at 4. People will be coming. We can pass out tracks, talk to people. Maybe hold some signs. I don't, it just depends on how they do it. So we, I need to kind of get a feel for how it's going to work. Uh, but that'll give us an hour to to be there and to do what we normally do. And um, and then we may in the future see about putting a table out there, uh, renting a spot so we could pass out Bibles and church invitations. I, I ordered 5,000 church invitations uh, that I plan to mail out. And uh, I think to mail out 5,000 it will cost about $1,000, um, which we can do by zip code, little by little, to, to different houses. Some of them I'm going to start taking on probably on either Thursdays or Fridays. Uh, when they get here, I'll start taking and just going door to door, knocking on doors, talking to people, um, attempting to be friendly. It does. I don't even know. You know, it's because it, it, I, I don't do small talk and I don't I don't watch football. I don't you know, I mean, I don't understand. You know, it's like, how you doing? Good. <laughs> well, nice meeting you. <laughs> so um, if you don't want to talk about Jesus or technology, then there's not a whole lot that I, that I can talk to you about, but uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. So um, I'll be taking some in that way and also ta- mailing, them, mailing them out. Um, you know, several houses can be hard to get to, but they get mail and the post office is happy to let us pay them to send it to them. So 
we will send them, send them out. Uh, I think to do the the full spectrum of the um, of the zip code for for Loosedale is about twelve thousand homes, and that's only residential. That's not um, that doesn't count um, businesses. And uh, so when I went through the the little tool they have on on the on the U.S. Post Office website, uh, I think to do the entire three was it three nine four five two. Uh, all, the full scale would, would be about 12,000-plus homes. So that means it would be about maybe $2,500 to mail one of those to every single home in Loosedale, or in the Loosedale area. Now, I, don't know, I don't know what the zip code range is for George County. Is it the same as Loosedale since it's the county seat? So that might be the whole county. I don't know if that's the whole county or not. Yeah, it's 12,000 home, residential homes in the count or in the three three nine four five two zip code range, so anyways, we'll be doing that in the future. They they should be here this week. The the invitations, and uh, we'll do it little by little as we can afford. Um, but my plan is yearly to send out multiple, um, you know, letters or tracks or invitations or whatever to the county, so we can try and stir up people who are interested in what we are doing here and um, see how that goes. Uh, so that, that'll be cu- upcoming. And then Brother Don Hillbun sent me a text. Uh, Miriam, Marianne Miriam, uh, started bleeding again. Uh, apparently it's pretty bad. They are trying to get papers for her to come to the U.S. so that she can see a doctor here. Um, you know, for all its faults, if you if you got to go to the doctor, you want to be here. You, you don't want to be anywhere else. You know, we I know we put a lot of stake in our medical community. I think we think more of them than we ought. (laughs) Uh, We think they are more capable than they actually are. Sometimes they think they're more capable than they actually are. But if you had to go to the hospital, this is where you want to (laughs) be. You want to be in America. You don't want to be anywhere else. Um, Also, his radiator went out in his truck, so he's on foot for a while. So if you pray about those things, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Um, it's hard enough to be in a third world country. In a, in a, there's something about third world countries, and, and, and you're, you're going to learn about it here soon because it's coming, it's coming to America. Uh, they've decided to adopt a lot of that. So, you know, so you'll get to experience it right here at home pretty soon. Um, but it, it's like they, they look at a process and they say, how can we make this as hard as possible on everybody? And that's how, that's how it is. I always joke with people who say they want to be missionaries. And I say, well, why don't you travel to a third world country and, and let that missionary let you pay the light bill? And they're like, oh, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you go, go and try and pay a light bill and you'll see what the big deal is about that. <laughs> you, you, to you, it's like, well, I just go on my app. You know, the other day I paid my electric bill. I went on my app and I paid it and it's done. It was, it was easy. You're not doing that in Uganda or Honduras or or another third world country, you're going to have to go down probably to a bank, stand in a really long line only to get there and find out you don't have the information or it's the wrong bank or, um, or, or they're going to close before you get to the, the teller and say, sorry, come back another day. Then you come back the day they tell you to come back and it's closed that day too. And so <laughs> you just, a simple task can take you a week to accomplish. So here it take you 15 minutes there. It'll take you 20, 30, 40 hours to try and get it done. And um, you just, 
You want to be thankful for what you have and pray the Lord helps us to keep it as long as possible. That'll be a, a blessing. That'll be a wonderful day. I still have no idea what that's going to be like. Just we're here and suddenly you're flying through the air <laughs> at, at a wrap. At a I, I, you know, I, I don't, I used to not mind flying so much, but man, on the way home, for some reason, it was a bit nerve wracking. I guess you have a wife and children now and uh, things matter more than they used to. And so uh, just I'm getting in this big metal tube and we're about to spend the next 30 plus hours <laughs> traveling through the air and different airports and all that. It's like, uh, I just want to get to Mississippi and stay there now. <laughs> My wife was, I used to be adventurous. My wife might still be a little more adventurous, but I think some of that's coming out of her as well. Her brother's insane. Now, he just had a baby. So we'll see how that changes, if it changes anything. Uh, just, just had a baby a couple nights ago. And, um, but he's the kind of guy that, I mean, he, he does whitewater rafting. He leads people you know, purposefully off waterfalls and, and like, I mean, he, he, re, he has a drone and he'll record himself going off a waterfall and, you know, just see how it goes. <laughs> you know, when Kristen and I were getting married, our families hadn't met. And so I, I was living for a while in a camping cabin four miles into uh, Ocala National Forest. Well, it wasn't a camp, camping cabin, it was just a cabin. It was just a, um, a wood cabin, a stick frame cabin, and you had to drive four miles into the forest through a, through a riverbed and all that to get out to it. So it was out there. And um, it, Alexander Springs ran through the backyard and there was this dock going out over the water. And so it was beautiful during the day. At night, that place came alive. Like, <laughs> it sounded wild. And uh, so anyways, our families are all out there and her brother comes over and uh, we walk out on the dock and he's laying on the, off the edge of the dock with his hands up and, and his his, from his, about his chest up, hanging over the water. And we're like, what are you doing? And he, and he snatches an alligator out of the water. And so this thing is like going, going crazy. And I'm like, uh, you stay over there with that. <laughs> That's all yours, man. That thing turns around and gets you. It's, or, you know, usually if there's a baby, mama is somewhere close by. And mama's not, mama's not you know, 12 inches long. Mama's... 12 feet long. So anyways, Jesus coming back to get us. That's what, <laughs> just <laughs> going through the air. I mean, I, that's, uh, hopefully he, he changes us before we go through the air. Otherwise I might have a heart attack on the way up. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter if he's calling everybody out, then I guess we're, we're going, but um, it'd just be, it'd be odd to die on the way out. <laughs> the, the Lord has you come meet him in the air. And I just, uh, <laughs> so, um, all right. Amen. Romans chapter 1, now that Brother Nathan picked these great songs and got you all spiritually minded, and I just ruined it. So um, Romans 1, reverses 16 through 17, and then we're going to talk about the power of the gospel this morning. We've, we've gone a couple of uh, times on the power of God and, and not being ashamed of the gospel. Now we're going to kind of tie it together and talk about the power of the gospel. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, in other words, to everybody, 
Verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for loving us. We thank you for being so good to us. Sure, thank you for this church and the people who have uh, felt it necessary to be here this morning. I sure pray you'd bless them. Thank you for their attendance and their desire to study your word together, to worship you. You're so worthy of our time, our attention, our efforts. And uh, we just pray, God, that you'd guide us and lead us and be well pleased with all that takes place here today. May you be honored and glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, uh, where I know we, we up till now have, have turned to a lot of passages and tried to show the relationship of what's happening here in Romans to other churches and the ideas that are laid out in Romans to to, to where it's spread out through the rest of the Bible. And, that, and that's a great way of Bible teaching. That's, that's one of the ways that has helped me the most to learn the Bible. When, when somebody can show you how it seamlessly runs through the Bible, it's, it's a tremendous help, or at least it is to me. And, the, and the, the Lord said the Bible's laid out that way. In Isaiah, he said that, that, that truth, in order to find truth, it's going to be precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, Right, so, so that's why when, when it comes to my approach to teaching the Bible, I've tried to adopt what I have learned. We go line by line, precept by precept, word by word through the Bible. And that's a safe way, a great way to teach the Bible because it's not me just picking on a daily basis what I think you need to hear and then telling you the Lord gave it to me. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know men who do that and they do a great job. I know who men who do that and... I question who the Lord is that you're talking about. All right? And so, but it's my responsibility, as the Apostle Paul said, I cease not to give you every word of God. How can I make sure I do that here if I'm just bouncing around from place to place through the Bible? I can't guarantee you that I did that if that's what I do. But if I go verse by verse, line by line, word by word, first of all, it's hard to get sidetracked on some topic that, that, that I want to be on a soapbox about because I'm only preaching what comes up in the scriptures. And then secondly, it makes sure that you get, you get exposed to every word of God through the format of preaching, which is extremely important. It's, and, and any pastor who doesn't do that, in my estimation, for whatever that's worth, not much, but for whatever it's worth, failed. It is my job to teach you this book, all of it. And so with the 10, 15 years I have left on this planet, I'm going to do my best to get through as much as we can. Now, we might not get through the book of Romans at the pace that it's going, but we're going to keep moving in that direction until either the Lord takes me out or you get tired of Bible preaching. One of the two <laughs> was going to, going to have to happen. And so the Apostle Paul is laying out to these people we're starting the most clear explanation and definition of New Testament Christianity as laid out in the book of Romans. And it begins with these two verses. Everything about New Testament Christianity hinges on these two verses. They are so pivotal. They are unbelievably important when it comes to making your way through the New Testament. Romans chapter 1 begins the greatest contrast and difference between Old Testament doctrine. 
as you, you, you come all the way through, and we've talked about it before, but you come all the way through the Old Testament, you get to the book of Malachi, and God says, I'm, I'm sick of Israel, I'm done with you, I don't, I'm not speaking to you again until Elias come. And then there's what they call 400 years of silence, which is only partially true, for 400 some odd years, they didn't hear directly from God. But the last thing God told them in Malachi is, you have the law of Moses, do that. In other words, I gave you the word of God, just stick with that until I show up and give you something else. I'm, I'm tired of you. All right, so Israel just remained rebellious. All through the book of Malachi, God says, you know, your sacrifices are not good. When? When were our sacrifices not good? God, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're robbing me with your side. Where? Where did we rob you? They just, God is trying to address their problems and they argue with God. Till finally he gets to the last chapter, chapter four, and he says, you know what? The Messiah is coming. The forerunner will come before him. Uh, he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elias. That's John the Baptist. I don't have anything else to say to you until that. And so 400 years pass and, and John the Baptist comes on the scene and John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. He begins preaching and what he's telling them is something new is coming. The Messiah is about to be here. You need to, be, you need to repent. You need to get ready. He's about to be here. So John's living like a wild man out in the wilderness, preaching and baptizing people, eating honey and locusts. Yuck. Would you eat that? <laughs> and so, but it's so contrary when you, when you contrast, it's not our point today, but when you contrast that with the, the approach of modern Christianity, they think it's got to be newer, it's got to be shiny, it's got to be advanced, it's got to be in your face, it's got to be everywhere. John went in the wilderness by himself and did what God said to do. And the multitudes came to him. The, the, the key is not something new and shiny. You don't have to help God. Like, Lord, you know, Lord, I know you're, you're, you were here 2,000 years ago. You don't know about the modern times that we're in. So we're going to dress the church up a little bit uh, to make it a little more palatable to the modern world. And then we'll, we'll get you some people in here. That's not how it works. No, you say, what did God want me to do in this book? Well, that's what we're going to do. Now, we don't want to be walking around with, in camel's hair and, and, and somebody walks in the door and you hand them a, a plate of honey and wild locusts. Not, nobody's telling you, you have to do that. That's what John had to do. But we have to do what God has told us to do. And we don't need to modernize it, make it new or change it or alter it. We need to be faithful to what God said to do. And if you will be faithful to what God said to do, he will build his church based on your faithfulness. He will do it. See, what we want, and again, I, you know, we're trying to do some things just to let people know we're here and what's going on and, and, and encourage them to come and visit. But I, I could have this room filled by tomorrow. And it'll be filled with a bunch of people that are useless and that you don't want to be here. And then whatever you use to get them here, you're going to have to use that to keep them here. All right, so my offer to the world is come hear the preaching from the word of God. That's it. Now, if you want that, this is the place. That'll be what got you here, and that'll be what keeps you here. But if it's pizza parties and, and dancing girls and light shows and, and pigs and, you know, all sorts of other 
gimmicks to get you to come here, then I have to keep, those gimmicks have to stay. That, that's, those are called ratings. We don't want ratings. We want people who love the Word of God, who want to be here, want to be a part of what we're doing. The reason a, a television show becomes popular is because they were edgy enough and pushed the, the, the limits enough to get the ratings. When they fail to do that, guess what happens? They don't get to stay on television. When your church fails to push the limits and to entertain, then you lose the ratings. They'll go somewhere else. We don't want a bunch of fickle people who, who are just, just looking to be entertained. We want people who love the Word of God, who want to be here and want to be a part of what we're doing through the Word of God. That's it. That's all we have. They're like, well, that's boring. This is not the place for you. I have, uh, no problem. I mean, there, there's a, there are a thousand churches around, around this county that will give you every flavor of everything you could imagine or think that you want. What we have to offer is the Word of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is establishing between these, the, the, these people. He's demonstrating through the first 15 verses to the people at Rome, our connection is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get to verse 16, those, those, that introduction, that, that let me tell you who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ, and how I can help you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get to the instruction. And so from this verse to the end of the book of Revelation begins New Testament instruction from the Word of God. And it starts with the gospel. That's where it begins. And there are, in this chapter, there are, there are incredible things. There are deep things that we are going to deal with. Homosexuality is dealt with in this chapter. <laughs> Who would have thought if you, if you had to write the first chapter of New Testament Christianity and put it in wording, why would homosexuality be there? And yet here we are today. What's well, one of the biggest problems we, we are confronted with in, in this country? Fornication is here. Uh, dishonoring your parents is here. Like the, the problems are so basic. We talked about in Sunday school how, how God expects women to act like women, and he expects men to act like men. And then when the women try to take the place of the men, and the men just let them because they're weak and cowardly, the entire society falls apart. It doesn't work. But when men step up and they act like men, and, and ladies are, are willing to assume the incredible position in life that God gave them, you're not, you're not some second-class citizen by being obedient to your husband. That's the way God designed it to work. And when you do that, you, create, you create or you help to create this wonderful flowing society full of peace and happiness and normal godly people. And when you violate that for your own self-interest, you help to destroy this society. We, we have mentioned before that according to a government statistic... Almost every homosexual came from a home where the woman in the home was domineering. It, it's, it's, a, it's a stated, it's, it's an unbelievably clear statistical fact. It's, it's, and, and so the children are looking at this and they're saying, well, dad is weak and mommy is domineering. And we, we no longer have a reference point for what a man and a woman are supposed to be and how they're supposed to live. All, that, all this is dealt with in Romans chapter 1. Just the first chapter. 
but it all starts, how can you tell a group of people that there is a role in life for women without being called a bigot and having them hate you? <laughs> well, I'm talking to a group of people who have trusted in the gospel. How do you tell a group of people you shouldn't be drunkards, you shouldn't go out drinking, and, and that it's destructive to your lives? Well, I'm talking to a group of people who have trusted in the gospel. The moment you trust in the gospel, you, you're born again, you're made a new creature, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, and so now you can receive instruction from the Word of God without hopefully having the, the rudiments of the world in the back of your head arguing with the instruction from the Word of God. See, that's where it gets awkward and it gets difficult. Well, how can he say, I don't think he should say that. Well, you don't think I should say that because you're more influenced by the world than you are by the Word of God. And what makes receiving instruction from the Word of God palatable is that you spend time in the Word of God, you're sensitive to the Word of God, you're receptive to the Word of God because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and you are this new creature that God made. People get saved and they come around and they say, can you believe how horrible the world has gotten? <laughs> well, it's been that way. It's just before you got saved, you were participating. You didn't recognize it. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit moves in and you become illuminated and you're like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> right, so, so it starts with these two verses, the gospel. And so these two verses reveal the context of the book of Romans. They lay the foundation. And even beyond that, you, you can't get past, you know, they often say that if you can get past Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, then you can do pretty well in the Bible. Well, well right here is another pivotable, pivotable, pivotable point. I keep saying that word and it, it just, my tongue is not, not participating. In the Bible, you, you need you need to understand this. It's unbelievably important. That's why we spent so much time on it thus far. Because without the gospel, nothing else matters. You, if you go, and, I, and we've talked about this before. We used to go street preaching. We'd stand outside a bar. People would walk in to go in the bar. And we would just yell, Jesus saves. And they'd turn around and say, don't tell me not to drink. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say anything about drinking. You say it again, and they say, don't tell me not to go in this bar. No, no, I, I mentioned the name of Jesus to you, and something in your heart said, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. All right, now, you can't receive that instruction, which isn't even instruction. It's just your conscience doing its job in light of the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we stand on a street corner and hold up signs that say, Jesus saves sinners. That, that, that connection of Jesus Christ and your brain, it does something to your conscience, and makes you say, I, I, I need to go look at that. I need to think about that. I need to read that. I need to, I need, or it makes you say, they're so judgmental. <laughs> they, they, they don't know me. Like, well, no, I, I don't know you specifically, but I know you generally. I know you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ. Jesus saves sinners. That's you. And, and, and so that, that, the conf that confrontation with the name of Jesus Christ that's what's going to inform us whether you are a person who can receive biblical instruction or not. And that's why we don't go out on a street corner and we say, we find a man with alcohol and say, you really shouldn't be drinking. Well, he knows that. He, he, he's going to do it anyways, but he knows he shouldn't be drinking. But that's not the conversation. 
sir, you're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. I need to tell you what Jesus did for you. That's the conversation you're supposed to be having with lost people on the street. Not, uh, your, your skirt is way too short. You shouldn't be dressed that way. Well, she knows that also because we'll be in downtown Orlando holding signs and preaching and girls will be walking down the street with skirts up to here and they see the sign and they start doing this. Like, there's no extra material in there. It's not coming down. But something in her mind said, I shouldn't be dressed this way. As soon as she saw the name of Jesus Christ. And then when she gets around the corner, she pulls it right back up and keeps going like nothing ever happened. That it lets the gospel is is so important because it's the starting point to the Christian life. It's what's going to let us know: have you come with the preconditions necessary to be built up by the word of God? And if you haven't, you're not, you're not going to be happy here. You're not, you're not going to like this. Because all you're going to get here is, is a continual instruction from God's word. And it's going to be used to build this church and to build the people in this church. And they will be set free from religious bondage, whether it's Roman, Roman Catholicism, Baptistism, Methodistism, Buddhism, whatever it is. You'll be taught to trust the word of God over all of that. And that truth can set you free if you'll receive it. If you haven't received the gospel, you're in no condition to hear the deeper truths of the word of God. The Lord said to to the apostles before they were saved, he said, there's so many things about heaven I'd like to tell you, but I can't. You couldn't even receive it. And so he was limited in what he was able to do because they were not ready. Now, Paul deeply desires to go to Rome. This is of interest because the context being developed here is that of power. And Rome was the seat of world power at that time. It's just interesting how that, that you have this passage to, written in a letter to the very church that is the world power. Now, this is what, what's this, just, just going to play out. The way this plays out is the same way it plays out all around the world, everywhere, everywhere you go. Until that time in history, Rome was counted amongst the great world powers that rule by brute force. Roman men were expected to be physical specimen of man's power. Their military was unrivaled in its day. And as, as it moved, it conquered. The surrounding world became a helpless victim of Rome's desires, and there was no political power to confront the Roman Empire. There would be nothing you could do about it. If America wanted to take the world, there are few people in the world in existence who could do anything about it if they chose to do so. Now, I'm not saying we should develop that mentality. I I, I don't think that's the case at all. But in Rome's day, they did want to take the world. And when they moved out to do it, there was nothing you would do about it. But, and yet Paul, Paul sends a letter written in Corinth. So he wrote this book while in Corinth. He sent it to Rome, which begins an internal attack that cannot be matched. You have the world, the greatest power in the world. And yet it has something moving inside of it that it can do nothing about. It tried. 
Rome was Rome brutally murdered Christians in the worst ways you could imagine. Nero was a madman to people who were not Christians. He was especially insane towards people who were. And yet it just kept growing and it kept growing and it kept showing up in his house and it kept showing up in his streets and it kept showing up in his family. And so every time he tries to, every time you try to root it out and you try to go use that Roman brute force to go after it, it just spreads more and it just spreads more and it just spreads more. And, and it's, you just, you can't do anything about it. It's, you can't match this power. By preaching the gospel of Christ, the greatest of empires can be changed from the inside out. Not through politics. Look, I, I hope the person gets elected that will leave me alone, that will leave my rights alone, that will leave our church alone, that will leave my family alone, and create a strong economy so we can all live well and do good. But that's not the solution to this country's problems. The reason that that's going to not happen and we're going to continually have trouble is because, you know, that, uh, that there was an article. When I was in Afghanistan, an article came out in the, the uh, Armed Forces News Network, and they were trying their best to figure out why these horrendous things were happening in the U.S. military. And we're talking about rape, misogyny, uh, just depraved, horrible things. They, the, the, what sparked the, the article is, and this, this, is, this, is exa- this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Rape was on the rise in the, in the U.S. military in a horrendous way. I mean, rapidly on the rise. And so they put together this panel of of people from the different branches of the armed forces, and it was their job to root it out and get rid of it. Well, it was discovered that the people on the panel had committed rape. One of them was prostituting women (laughs) and doing a number of other things. And those are the people you put together to get rid of that in your military. Now, this was the conclusion of the man who wrote the article, a lost man. He said, until the, until the content of the character of the, of the people where you get these young men from changes, your military is not going to change. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. But how do you do that? Psychological reform? Counseling? No. Somebody has to go preach the gospel. Somebody has to make these people a new creature. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the exact same problem. You're you're going to recreate the problem, trying to solve the problem, then recreate the problem, trying to solve the problem until you finally realize it's it's useless. There's nothing we can do about it. And so Paul is going to send this letter in, and it has the most dangerous thing on the planet in it. The most powerful thing on the planet. It has eternal implications the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. The good news about a Jewish peasant who was a simple carpenter and also, by the way, the son of God can infiltrate great political powers and tight political boundaries. The greatest of Roman swordsmen are no match for the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You want to fix the military? Flood it with the word of God. Send Bible preachers in to preach the gospel. Now, if you said that to the top military brass, they'd say, you've lost your mind. No, you've lost yours. 
and you've lost control of your military. And it's abundantly clear. Now, that's dangerous because this is the most powerful military the world has ever known. And it's on the verge of collapsing. Now, Paul's testimony before this powerful empire was this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And since then, the Roman Empire has fallen. It is at best a slight shadow of its former self. It is a historical sight to see what used to be. That's the only reason you go to Rome today, is to see what it used to be. You don't go there today to see what what great power it is today. You go to see what they used to be, and and then you, you, you just ooh and awe over all of that. But if you see what it is today, it's just a, it's nothing. I mean, it's a beautiful place, but other than just being a beautiful place, there's nothing spectacular about it. It's just, just no, no real future. It is a historical sight to see what used to be, but the gospel of Christ is still the power of God unto salvation. It can still be used against the mightiest of empires or political powers. Rome has fallen. It's over. The gospel's still moving around the world. The most powerful country today, arguably, is the United States of America. And the gospel is all over this country. And from this country, the gospel is being sent all around the world. From this country, millions upon millions of Bibles and tracts and uh, all sorts of material in numerous languages are flooding into countries all around the world. It's the gospel. Now, the problem with a sword is when the swordsman refuses to pick it up and put it to use. When we consider the great need of a lost world, it's not another political movement. Our brethren have gotten themselves lost in the fold of political solutions to spiritual problems. The desperate need is for God's people to pick up the sword of the Spirit and to go to work. We have forgotten that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God. So, I, I, I like guns. You know I like guns. I, I carry a gun just about everywhere I go. But that's for the thug. <laughs> that's for the thief. That's for someone who's going to try and harm my family. That's not the battle. That's not the battle I want to be fighting. I might get put in a position to have to defend my family, and I will do that. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's the gospel. It's the Word of God. That's what's going to help people. That's what's going to change people. And if we don't, we don't use that, what's the point of having a sword and just, just to hang it on the wall? I never, I never get these guys who have a, you walk in their house and they have swords hanging on the wall. Well, do you know how to use it? Well, no. <laughs> well, what's it for? Just a decoration? What's your Bible for? Might as well just hang it on the wall next to the other swords that you don't know how to use. All right, so it's our job to pick this up and use it against this lost and dying world. And that's what's going to change things. And, and as long as we refuse to do that, if you know you're in a battle and you refuse to fight, what's going to happen? You're going to lose. All right, we are in a battle. It's a spiritual battle, but we are in a battle. The gospel of Christ is the intellectual knowledge that is, that is backed by the Holy Spirit of God. 
It has the ability to create new creatures to produce a second birth and to change one's eternal destiny. Throughout history, great, uh, great orators have had the ability to move men unto change or battle. These men are considered great in historical context, but the change they produced is greatly limited to a moment in time. It just you, you think of these, these great speeches throughout history that led men to battle. Well, it was great. Well, some of those countries don't even exist anymore. What, what they did was so limited, it, 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 didn't, it has no eternal value. But preaching the gospel, you'll see that person in eternity. And you'll see the people they preached it to in eternity. We will sit at the foot of the throne of Jesus Christ together in eternity. There is no going back from that. That's what's going to help. That's what's going to change, to change lives. And we have access to it. Now, the Apostle Paul could approach men with simplicity of speech, even causing one man to fall from an elevated window with long sermons and unmemorable speech patterns. The Apostle Paul would have been very boring to listen to, but he would have taught you the Word of God. Now, I, I appreciate men who can preach and be interesting to listen to. I do, because we have had to sit through some men who were not so interesting to listen to. There's one brother we know, a great man. We love him to death, but I don't think he does it anymore, but he used to, every time he would preach, every few words he would go, uh. It was so bad. He would say, you know, the gospel is the, uh, the, uh, the power of God, uh, and you're supposed to... Uh, preach uh, the gospel, and, uh, and it's like, <laughs> it's hard to get to the content past the presentation, but if, on the other side of that, we have men who are great presenters and say absolutely nothing. And so there needs to be a proper balance there. But the Apostle Paul would not have been exciting to listen to, and yet Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessaloniki, Rome. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This man went around preaching the gospel and, and spread the word of God everywhere with a boring speech pattern. It's the content. It's the power of the gospel. Uh, what's, what's his name that wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress? What was his name? Yeah. You, you, he would write out every sermon and read it. And yet, when he read sinners in the hands of an angry God, people felt like they were about to fall from their pew straight into hell. It would have been the most boring thing to sit and listen to, but the content and the power of God that was on it made people feel like, I better trust in the Lord right now. I don't think I can make it from my pew to the altar. It, it just, it's, that's, that's how the Lord uses it. Now, the, the gospel pronounces the character of God and his desire to save, which stands in direct contrast to the course of this world. When the preacher preaches the gospel of Christ, it collides with this present evil world and forces its members to make a decision. And by the way, not making a decision is a, is a decision. All right, so it, you're, not, you're not escaping it's our job to deliver the message. Now, if you can do that in an exciting, memorable way that helps people to, to, to grasp it better, great. If you can't, great. Who cares? It's the content 
of the message and the power behind the message, the Holy Spirit who is using that message that matters. We preach the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, all done according to the scriptures for your sin. And if you don't trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. Now, people don't like that. It doesn't matter. I don't want you to not like me. But when I tell you what you are based on what God said, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a dishonest person, you're going to get angry. If you're an honest person, you're going to say, well, it's actually worse than that. <laughs> and you're going to recognize your need for Jesus Christ. If you're a dishonest person who, who thinks you're holier than thou or, or that, that you're not a sinner, then you're going to struggle with it. Now, when the preacher preaches the gospel of Christ, it collides with this present evil world and it forces its members to make a decision. When the gospel is preached, the righteousness, righteousness of God is revealed. Look at verse 17. For therein, that's, that, therein, that's the gospel of Christ. For therein is the righteousness of God Revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, the just shall live by faith. Now look at, hold your place there, but look at Romans 5 real fast and look at verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, all right, that's, isn't that what we just read? The just shall live by faith. Well, faith in what? Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ that brings about justification. The just shall live by faith. Well, that message, what that message does is it contrasts you versus God. And here's the problem. If I go, if I, if I, uh, I was, it, it happened just yesterday. Brother Nathan and I are standing there. The, these ladies walk by. I, I assume they're ladies. They, they were at least female. I, whether they're ladies or not, I guess that's. That's debatable. But they were walking by, and I went to hand them a tract, and she said, no, I'm good. And I said, well, actually, there's none good. <laughs> and she gave me a funny face, as you can imagine. Now, here, here's the problem. In her mind, she might be good. What she's done is she's compared herself to her companions, and based on her companions, she's doing pretty good. I mean, if her uncle's a drug addict and her father's an alcoholic and her mother's a who knows what, then, I mean, I don't do any of those things. I'm doing pretty good. But no, the gospel is going to strip you of that. And it's going to compare you to the righteousness of God, which will very quickly reveal you are not doing good at all. You're in serious trouble. People don't like that. Leave me in my little bubble where, where I have placed myself amongst people that I am better than, and so I can continually convince myself I'm doing great because I, I pay my bills, I take care of my children, I don't do drugs. You know, you, you, you try to give the gospel to people, and you say, what's going to happen to you when you die? I'm going to go to heaven. Well, why are you going to heaven? Well, I've never robbed a bank. Good. I'm thankful you've never robbed a bank. But I, I'm pretty sure most people in this country, mo, I, I would say an overwhelming majority of people in this country haven't robbed a bank. In fact, I would say it's probably a tiny number of people that actually have. How is that a measure as to whether you're going to heaven or not? Or they'll, they'll say, well, I've never killed anybody. Again, I'm thankful you've never killed anybody. 
But it seems like a pretty common thing to not have killed somebody. I, I don't understand how in your mind you, can, you made this connection, never robbed a bank, never committed murder, doing pretty good. What about all the lies you've told? What about the person you looked at with lust in your heart? What about when you dishonored your, your mother and your father? What about the, the 5,000 times a day you say, oh, my God, or Jesus Christ. Interesting. You never say, oh, Muhammad. It's always that name. In Saudi Arabia, in Saudi Arabia, the Saudis will say, oh, Jesus Christ. How is that? How is that so universal around the world? It's because there is none other, none other name under heaven whereby ye must be saved. And so the gospel is going to reveal the righteousness of God and compare you to it. That's, how we, that's one of the ways we use the law. Well, uh, uh, one of the more popular street preachers today, if, 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 if a street preacher can be popular, at least for good reasons, is Ray Comfort. And he's... He's doctrinally, he's got many problems. He doesn't use the King James Bible, but that man is, is great at witnessing to people on the street and telling them about Jesus Christ. He's done an excellent job of that. And he walks people through the law, at least the Ten Commandments. And he'll ask them, are you a good person? And they all, the Bible says, every man will declare his own goodness. And, and it's absolutely true. It's the, mo- it's the number one answer you get when you try to tell somebody about Jesus Christ on the street. Can I tell you about Jesus? No, I'm good. <laughs> not according to God, you're not. <laughs> and so then, then they, they don't like that. They don't like that response. Why would you say that? You don't know me. No, I don't have to know you. You're a sinner. There's none that doeth good. There's none good but God. All that is clearly written in the word of God. You're confused. And I'm here to try and help you. Just you can't receive it. It sparks your anger. And, and, and instead of you humbling yourself and realizing, yeah, I've got problems that might have eternal consequences, maybe I should listen and see what God has to say. No, instead, they, they want to fight. They want to argue and, and push back. And so it becomes a, a, a huge problem. Um, you're going to be compared to the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals that. But, but it goes further. It reveals the wrath of God. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, we're going to talk about it when we get there, but that is one of the most incredible phrases in all of the Word of God. Think about what this means. They have the truth in their hands, and they hold it in unrighteousness. It's not like they don't know. In fact, the conclusion is going to be they are without excuse. You have no excuse. They have the truth. Jesus Christ is that true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John chapter 1. Every man. Everybody knows. They've just decided. They've decided. And we're going to go through the process here. They, they, the, what they're going to do is they're going to say, I refuse to glorify you as God, I refuse to be thankful, and I prefer to worship the creation more than the creator. Well, that's your choice. That's up to you. 
But there are eternal consequences to that choice. And in order to get there, what you're doing is you're taking the truth that you know to be truth, and you're going to hold it in unrighteousness. I'm going to take this truth, and I'm going to set it over here with the other lies that I refuse to believe. I'm going to make it a lie. I'm going to make God a liar. Well, the Bible says, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. You're the liar, not God. You're the one in trouble, not God. You're the one that's going to be judged, not God. If you don't receive God's word, you're going to lift up your, eye in hell, your eyes in hell being in torment. There is no escape. But then it, look at chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So you have three things that, that this process is ultimately going to reveal. Number one, it confronts you with the righteousness of God. You don't measure up to God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means you're guilty. You're on your way to hell. But, but then immediately after that, the gospel is going to reveal the wrath of God. You are subject to God's wrath if you're not saved. You can escape that wrath by trusting in Jesus Christ or, or John 3 says the wrath of God abideth upon you. Can you, I mean, that, that would terrify me. To think that I still lived in a situation in which the wrath of God just abides upon me and he's just waiting for death to come knocking on my door. You keep toying with God. There's a, a, a saying that's become popular today that it, it's very fitting. If you play stupid games, you're going to win stupid prizes. Don't play that game. Don't toy with your soul. It's a, it's a dangerous proposition to make. And then eventually, eventually, with or without you, the glory of God is going to be revealed. So, but people want this order to be flipped. You show me God's glory. You show me God, and then I'll think about trusting in him. Well, I, I hate to tell you, you're not in charge of this situation. You are subject to God. He is not subject to you. And he said that he's going to have somebody preach the gospel to you. It's going to reveal his righteousness. It's going to reveal the wrath to come. And it's going to reveal the glory of God. And if you don't trust in what was said, that's the amazing thing to me. God said, I sent somebody to preach it to you, and you better believe it. You just want me to believe what they said? Yes, I do. And if you reject it, you're going to, you're going to go to hell. With no escape. Now, when the gospel is preached, the world's condemnation is made plain. The, the rapidly approaching reality of that condemnation is felt, as our lives are but a vapor that quickly vanishes. When the gospel is preached, the world learns of the coming judgment, which is inescapable without the gospel of Christ. But by the grace of God, the same gospel that clearly confirms a man's condemnation also introduces that man to the solution. God provides a way of escape, but you must follow his instructions. See, that's the problem. 
Well, I just want to do it my way. No, 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 no. Your way is what, but there, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, and the end thereof are the ways of death. We, we don't want to do things your way. We want to do things God's way. It's God that sets us free. It's God that provides the answer. God provides a way of escape, but you must follow God's instruction. Receiving the gospel of Christ will ensure the salvation of the soul, forgiveness of sins, and eternal rest with the Savior. It, it's a guaranteed fact. Well, no, I, I think I should, I, we should just do it my way. No. No. <laughs> No, here's the guaranteed direction. It works every single time. If you'll do this, trust this, that's the answer. Well, I just want to go to the left a little bit. It doesn't matter how, if you, if you, if you only nudge to the left a tiny bit, you're still going to end up in a ditch. It may be further down the road, but you're still going to end up in the ditch. If you, if you turn the wheel to the right, just, just slightly, well, it might be two miles down the road. You're still going to end up in a ditch or into oncoming traffic. <laughs> Don't do that. Just keep it straight. Keep it narrow. Do what God said. And he guarantees your eternal salvation. You'll be with him for eternity if you just do what he asks. Well, I want to go to heaven some other way. Yeah, Jesus said you're a thief and a robber. You don't go some other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Look at John 3. When somebody, when I, when I have the rare privilege of leading someone to the Lord on the street or, or wherever, um, I, after they, what, what, I, what I tend to do is I, I'll tell them if they, if they want to pray and, and, and have their sins forgiven, I'll say, okay, I'm going to pray with you. But first I'm going to pray and I'm going I'm to pray to God that he helps you. And then after I'm done praying, you have to pray and you have to ask God to save you. I'm not telling you what to say. I'm not, I'm not walking you through it. I'm not helping you with it. It's, it's up. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to have your sins forgiven. Now, when they pray out loud for me to hear, it's very telling. When that conversation is over, I can look at them. Or when that prayer is over, I can look at them and say, I, I appreciate you praying with me, but... At no point in that prayer did you call upon the name of the Lord. And so maybe we need to think about this some more and talk about this some more. Or in, in, in a rough, rudimentary way, they ask Jesus to save them from their sin and, and they're trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. Then at the end of that, that prayer, I can say, if you, if you believe what you just did, then you just got saved. All right, there, there's a good chance that you just, you, you got it. All right, now what I'll do after that if they got saved, because I'll take them to John chapter 3, and I read this to them, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Well, why not? Why didn't God send Jesus to condemn the world? Because it's already condemned. There's no need for him to condemn it. It's already condemned. You are, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you're already condemned. We're trying to help you escape the condemnation that already exists. We're not trying to convince, we're not trying to condemn you. We're trying to get you out of the condemnation that, that you rightly deserve. And, and, and it, he makes that clear here, but that the world through him might be saved. Well, why would he need to save it? Because it's in trouble. 
And that's what the world doesn't get. They think, again, I'm in my bubble. I'm, I'm better than the people around me or at least as good as them. There's, what do I need to be saved from? Your sin. You're going to die. And you're going to stand before God and have to be judged. You, you don't, you don't want to be judged on the basis of your sin. You want to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ on the basis of the life you live because your sins are forgiven. You do not want to be at the great white throne of judgment explaining yourself before God. The end result is, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. You'll be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Don't, don't do that. Verse 18, and this is the part that, we, that, that, that I'm looking for when I'm reading to these people. He that believeth on him is not condemned. I'll stop there and I'll look at them. I say, is that you? And if they got it, this big smile will light up on their face because they just realize, I have escaped condemnation. I am not condemned. But then you read the next part. But he that believeth not is condemned already. It was already. I didn't condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you from your condemnation that you're already in and deserve. And so... When they see that, I'll ask them, is that you? And they say, no, that's not me. I've trusted in Jesus. I've escaped condemnation. And then, and then when you're dealing with your friends, the Calvinists, because, isn't that amazing when God does that? He's going to ex explain what, what is the basis of this condemnation or the lack thereof. And it's pretty damning if you're a Calvinist, because he hath not believed. Oh, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And if you're a Calvinist, you have to say, because he is not elect. Which makes no sense. The choice is yours. You are not pre, it was not predetermined for you. What was predetermined for you is what is going to happen to you if you trust or don't trust in Jesus Christ. That's what God predetermined. That's the predestination that exists. You trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, your soul is saved, you'll spend eternity with God. Praise the Lord. You reject Jesus Christ, you'll lift up your eyes in hell and torment for eternity. You will not. No purgatory, no second chance, no reincarnation, no reset button. No, well, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to tell him. No, 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 no. No, you're going to be judged. And when you hear God speak like a coward, your knees are going to begin to smite one against the other until you collapse. Then you'll be cast into the lake of fire. Don't toy with an angry God. Well, isn't God love? Yeah. He, for, for God so loved the world that he brutally murdered his own son for your sin. Don't toy with that God. Because it's that son you have to reject. And if he did that to his son, what would he do to you for rejecting his son? Don't play with God. Receiving the gospel will change a man's career while working the same job. It will change his married while, while, while being married to the same woman. It changes your life. It makes you a new creature. It's an improvement. It's the power of the gospel. The gospel is the starting point to real change in a person's life, physical, here and now, and 
and eternity, which is far more important. Now, to close out, the gospel is it, the gospel is the effectual is effectual in its working because of its backing, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the gospel a tool of, of eternal life. While the gospel is a package of necessary information, it is also much more than that. The man or woman who preaches the gospel is accompanied by the Spirit of God in their efforts. As a result, the potential effect of preaching this gospel have far-reaching consequences. Receiving this gospel guarantees eternal salvation. Rejecting this gospel ensures eternal damnation. The power, the power is required to convince men of their sin. Only the Holy Spirit could accomplish this needy task. If men never see themselves as sinful rebels who have offended a holy God, they will not trust the Lord. The power to take away all excuse and reveal sinful man for what he is can only be done by the, by the Holy Spirit. Preaching this gospel was the life of the Apostle Paul. And preaching the gospel sets men free from their sin and from the power of Satan. One more stop. Look at Acts 26. Acts 26, 14 through 20 is the Apostle Paul giving his testimony just before being taken to Rome or eventually being taken to Rome. Verses 14 through 20. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Chapter 26, verse 14. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then he goes on to King Agrippa who, who summarily rejects that very gospel. Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Well, almost, almost you escaped hell, but you didn't. Not unless he believed later, but if that's how he ended his life, Imagine that. You almost got me there. <laughs> I almost trusted in Jesus. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. You're saying you almost escaped hell. So th these, these words that God gave us, we don't use them to win arguments, though they can. We don't use them to, to convince people of our opinion, though it can. That's not the point. We are looking for eternal change in people's lives. We are looking for eternal change in their character, in their person, in their marriage, in their finances, in their career, in, in, in every aspect of their life. And the only way to do that is to preach the gospel. That's at least the starting point. 
then they can be taught the word of God. Without the gospel, they have no hope in eternity and they have no hope in this life. I mean, think about it. The Bible says we sorrow not even as others who have no hope, which means we sorrow. We go through trouble. We have hard times, but we have hope. We have something to look forward to. Philippians says that, that there is consolation in Christ Jesus. It's consoling to belong to the Lord, even in the midst of life's difficulties. Imagine going through those exact same difficulties with absolutely nothing to look forward to. Your only hope is that the problems will go away. And they might, or they might not. And then in the end, you die and you go to hell. Now, it's our responsibility to get this information to the world. And over time, we're going to do more and more and more together to do that. It starts right now with just standing on a street corner, holding a sign, going to restaurants, passing out tracks, telling people you work with, telling people in your family, telling your friends about Jesus, and doing everything we can to get the gospel to this world. That's the starting point here. And then we're going to do more and more and more together as a church over time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for meeting with us today and give us, giving us this opportunity to be here and to worship you. Lord, we sure thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for its great power, all that it's able to do. I pray, God, that you'd help us all to take it so serious and to do everything we can to make every effort on our part to get the gospel to somebody or multiple people on a daily basis at least on a weekly basis, to do everything we can to get, the, to get the Word of God into somebody's ears, into somebody's eyes, whatever is necessary for us to take the time to give somebody the gospel. Help us, Lord. Guide us and lead us. We want to be obedient to your Word. You, you told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and uh, we sure want to do that together as a church. Pray that you'd help us and guide us and that you'd receive all the honor and all the glory you so deserve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.